Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. I have another awesome guest for you, and I know you're going to be super excited to hear all of her wisdom, tips, tricks, and inspiration that she has to share here today. So today I have Amanda Blackwell share a little bit about your background into the SLP world and how you became to do what you're doing right now. A little bit about your journey. Okay. Well, thanks so much for inviting me. First of all, I appreciate it. So I am a bilingual speech pathologist. I live in Guatemala, which is a little bit different from most people. <laughs> I do my, I do my um, teletherapy from here in Guatemala. So there's a group of us international SLPs doing teletherapy, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But I moved here seven years ago as a volunteer speech pathologist. I thought I was just going to be here doing a year of service and working at an orphanage, living in an orphanage there. And that turned into seven years. So (laughs) I just keep finding more things to do and fewer reasons to return to the United States. So that's really (laughs) what's kept me here. But it's interesting because I did not grow up bilingual. I didn't speak Spanish at all when I moved here. Um, So it's kind of a, a big leap of faith, but I'm still learning Spanish. Obviously, I'm not an expert after seven years, but after living here for for this long um, and all of my friends are Guatemalan and being surrounded by people who only speak Spanish um, has been really helpful for me. So um, it's been quite a journey. I've practiced longer here in Guatemala than I did in the United States when I lived in the U.S. as a speech pathologist. I graduated in 2010 and just did my CFY and worked a couple of years before moving down here. So it's been quite a journey. Can you share a little bit about the caseload that you've had in Guatemala and the kind of different things you've experienced? 
Yeah. So I started out working just in Guatemala, within Guatemala, um, when I when I finished working at the orphanage. And there at the orphanage, I had about 20 to 25 children there with disabilities, varying from cerebral palsy to selective mutism. We had a lot of kids that had come from traumatic family home backgrounds. And so that was something that was new for me here. After the orphanage, I, I worked mainly with pediatric feeding and swallowing, which was not the direction I thought that I would be going. I've done way more continuing education since I've been here, <laughs> trying to make up for the things I, I didn't pay much attention to in grad school just because I didn't think I would ever do it. And I had never considered moving to a developing country either. And so I worked at a pediatric gastro, well, what's it called? Gastro? Let me think. I'm thinking in Spanish. Sorry. Um, Air digestive clinic. Sorry. Okay. So we have a pulmonologist, a gastroenterologist, and a dietitian along with me. So we saw some of the more complicated cases, and they still call me from time to time to come up and and brainstorm with them about uh, a particular patient. And then I do a lot of supervision here. So I work at a place called Fundal, which is for students who are deafblind or multiple disabilities. So we do a lot of AAC, which I love. That's really my my bread and butter there. And I also supervise at Down Guatemala, which is a school for children and adults with Down syndrome. So again, lots of AAC there um, and just lots of visual supports and really trying to change the way that people think about traditional speech therapy here. Before I came, or I guess when I first got here, I noticed a lot of non-speech oral motor exercises because we're a little bit behind the times with the research here. It doesn't quite make its way down here because if you don't speak English, it's really not likely that you would be keeping up with the latest and greatest <laughs> research. So, so yeah, so I just had a lot of opportunities to, to do AAC here, which is really what I'm passionate about. So I see a lot of children now with autism that's become more of my, the bulk of my caseload um, for private clients. And I do evaluations here. So, so a little bit of everything. Wow. <laughs> a lot of variety. I like that. And how did you hear about this program? I'm sure a lot of people are kind of curious, like what inspired you to research it or did it fall into your lap or were you looking for a change? Like, yeah. Well, it was kind of crazy. I was doing a, a master's PhD program at UT Dallas and spring break of my last year of my PhD program, I did like a mission trip. I went to Honduras with a, a surgery, like a medical brigade. And I ended up spending all of my time there with the children with disabilities and just was fascinated by their survival skills. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just amazing how they were doing without having had a lot of therapy. And so I just remember going back to Dallas after that 10-day trip and thinking, like, I can't pretend like I didn't just see what I just saw. And I got, I've got to do something a little bit more radical with my life and thinking about the privilege that I had had to study at really great places and learn so much. And I just felt like I had so much more to share. So I decided to apply to that same orphanage where we had visited, but they didn't need a speech pathologist in Honduras. They needed one in Guatemala. So I had never been here. I didn't know Seoul and I didn't speak Spanish, but I just went for it. And that was, that's history, as they say, right? That was seven years ago now. So, And do you find there are, are there other speech pathologists that are from various countries? Is it just, what, what is the surrounding like in terms of colleagues? <laughs> 
Yeah, so I really did miss that when I moved here and I was finding myself like looking for a community of professionals because I was so used to collaborating uh, with teams in the US and I worked in early intervention and we're always working as a team. And so I really missed that. And so I decided to start an association here for speech therapists really to get to know other people and then just to build that professional community. So it started, let's say probably three years ago now, where we just started having get togethers. And I would, not that I'm an expert in everything, but I would do a lot of research and put together um, some short presentations just to be able to present the latest and greatest um, evidence-based practice that we have. And, and that's how we kind of got the community going. And culturally, it's not so common or natural, I guess, to to seek out other professionals and brainstorm like that and work together because people are pretty territorial with their with their clients and their patients and they don't really want to share. And I don't think that, that that's the fault of anyone. It's just how things are here. And so it's kind of a novel concept to, to have this community and to collaborate and to admit when you've never seen a patient with the diagnosis that, mm-hmm. that they have and, and seek help from your colleagues without fearing that they're going to steal your client away or anything like that. <laughs> so it's been great, actually. And it's been little by little poco a poco as we say but we've we've officially started the association it's recognized by the government it's registered and everything else and where people are getting certified as guatemalan speech therapists like as part of the association and we're doing monthly well it's been twice monthly and then during covid it's been weekly workshops online that Uh we've been doing with speech pathologists in the united states and mexico and Spain and Argentina. Sorry, Argentina. Yeah, no, that's um, amazing. That's yeah. congratulations. That is so Thank awesome. What have you found has been the biggest challenge for speech pathologists in Guatemala? I think just not being recognized as professionals. It's a technical degree here, so it takes mm-hmm. about three years to finish. So they don't have like the bachelor's level education, and that's really what is the minimum standard for people to be considered professional here to have a bachelor's degree. So it's more. I guess, on the level of teachers or even, I mean, not that teachers are not valuable, but I mean, they're just not part of the medical profession, which is like uh-huh. that, the high, whatever, mm-hmm. society here. So, so that's been the biggest challenge. And, and that's really the next goal of mine is to open a university here for allied health professionals and, and at least have that bachelor's degree and, and maybe even starting with a master's degree. I've heard that that's probably a better strategy so that we can get professors, trained professors right away to stay on at the university to, to teach future generations. So that's really the next goal is, is improving that. And then definitely lack of resources. I mean, we just don't have the money, the insurance program, the insurance companies or the, the grant programs or anything like that to buy assistive devices or, or technology or even hearing aids. I mean, if you're born with hearing loss here, I mean, shucks out of luck because mm-hmm. you're considered deaf where you would learn sign language, but nobody speaks sign language here. And so your opportunities for work and, and things like that and education are just really, really limited and, and unnecessarily. Like if we just yeah. could get hearing aids, or if we just had yeah. therapy, we could do a lot of things. But unfortunately, that's just not a, not not our reality. I'm sure you have, like it sounds like you've been hitting a lot of challenges and and barriers with being able to do your job and do it effectively and efficiently. How do you stay positive and how do you keep like pushing through when when it can be tough? Like you're away from home. I mean, now this is your new home, but how how do you stay positive? How do you keep going? Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, we just we can't dwell on the fact that we don't have access to that the eighteen thousand dollar eye gaze machines or whatever. <laughs> We're gonna find what does work, right? If we don't have that, okay, what what's our alternative and what can we do? What can we create out of cardboard and you know color printers? I bring laminating machines down here, but every every time I come back, my my checked bag is always lined with for laminating machines because. <laughs> That just makes a huge difference every time we come back here. And it's so much more expensive to buy laminators. Anyway, so that's creating all of these paper materials, which is just more of our reality, but just as effective in so many different contexts. So I, I think that's been really the thing that we're focusing on is just if that if we don't have access to that, what do we have access to? And how can we really maximize this person's potential and help them reach all of their goals and become competent communicators? Like that's just what we have to focus on. In the beginning, I would say like, that would be so easy if we could just get him an FM system and get it, you know, I would think that way, but I, I can't think that way because that's not our reality. It's not accessible. And I can't buy hearing aids and FM systems for the whole world and I can't buy AAC, right? So that's just not sustainable. And and I wouldn't want a, a child to go out with their iPad in public here because it's just not safe to do that. You become a target for theft and, and I don't want to put people in that situation. So we're going to figure out what is most appropriate for that person and, and it's going to help them be a competent communicator an autonomous communicator and then and also what's what's practical for their families and in all of the different environments that they're in what challenges have you faced like culturally with like different cultural standards and expectations and social rules and expectations like you know going and telling a parent what to do or just changing different things that have been never done before well, I think that, especially in the rural areas here, having a child with disabilities is really like a shameful thing. A lot of times they'll blame the mother for having done something wrong in her past or that God is punishing her with a child with disabilities. And so what I've really found that I need to do in the very beginning is help the mom see or the family see how valuable their child is and all of the strengths that they do have. Because... I think they've, they've just learned to say, like, I love my child, but I realize that the rest of the world doesn't, or, you know, because they get a lot of flack for that. But I focus, uh, I spend a lot of time building up the mom and helping her see all the positives that their, her child is doing. I use the communication matrix a lot because I just love that it honors all communication. And I can tell them that even if they're not level one, I can say, like, but you know exactly when your child is mad, or you know exactly what he wants. And, and they're like, yeah, I do. So I, mm-hmm. it's just about helping them see things from a different perspective and really honoring the life of their child. So so that's really one thing that I've noticed culturally that, that I really need to do in the beginning. That's amazing. And there's so many like of us in this United States that have to do with that with our clients as well. So that's such a great tip and advice. The other thing you're also known for is you also do a lot of teletherapy. So tell us a little bit about your teletherapy experience. Are you doing teletherapy with students in Guatemala, in the States? Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah. So I got into teletherapy before it was cool. (laughs) 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 Pre-COVID. I was doing my clinical doctorate and I was needing to support myself with fewer hours because in Guatemala, I was working 60 hours a week trying to, you know, just make an, not trying to make enough money to survive, but that's just how it was because I can't be charging U.S. prices in Guatemala, right? So, but when I was focusing on doing my research and and writing up the, the whole thesis document, I needed to have more condensed hours and still be able to support myself and still be able to do whatever I'm doing in Guatemala. So, so teletherapy just seemed like a good option. Actually, I had a, a project, a paper I had to write 
in the clinical doctorate program about teletherapy because I had kind of like, you know, just shrugged it off thinking like, really, that's probably not so effective or whatever. But when I actually got into the research and I was writing that paper, I was like, wow, there's actually a lot of evidence for this and, and it can be very effective. So, so I decided to just give it a shot and apply to the different companies. I had worked for a school district in, in Texas before I moved here. So I had some experience there. And I love technology. I mean, like, <laughs> I just love making presentations and things like that. So, so it just was a good fit for me. And I started working, I got licensed in five different states so that I would have more options. And I'm bilingual now. So again, I had lots of options. <laughs> uh, and I ended up working first for a school district in, in Washington State and then California. Now I'm in New Mexico. And so it's just really allowed me to stay connected to the U.S. system, stay up to date on things, do bilingual evaluations, which I think is, is so important to be able to do those well um, and with, <laughs> with people who are bilingual and are not going to be unnecessarily qualifying students when they, when they really have a language difference instead of a language disorder. And it's allowed me to work more condensed hours here and then continue to serve and really not charge very much at all for that <laughs> or not charge at all. Um, here in Guatemala. So it's really been the best of both worlds, literally for me staying connected to, to the U.S. Um, while being here. So I also joke that I had really gotten away from paperwork here because nobody, like there's no insurance company <laughs> that you have to be writing reports for every three months. But being back in the school system has really helped me realize or remind me about the importance of data collection and documenting everything and, and doing those high quality evaluations and, and progress reports. It's, it's really important. <laughs> it is important. So, so yeah. And then recently I've gotten into doing trainings for, for teletherapy. So that's really fun connecting with colleagues all over the place. That's amazing. What was the top three things that you felt you learned or needed to do to be an effective teletherapy SLP? So number one is, is really getting connected with the people on the ground. I think, well, three years ago, it was shocking to show up in an IEP meeting on the computer when everybody else is sitting around the table. But what I found was making phone calls to parents to introduce myself at the beginning of the year, sending out like, like a little newsletter, you know, like classroom teachers do <laughs> to let them know who you are and just make that connection. Introduce myself to all the classroom teachers and everybody else, because I just, it's so easy for a child to just sign on from school or from home now. And it's just another random person on the other side. But I really wanted that personal connection with families. I wanted them to know that they could reach out to me. I want to, I, it's so important to collaborate with classroom teachers and know exactly what's going on in the classroom so that you can align what you're doing in therapy with what they're doing. So, so getting vocabulary lists from the teachers and things like that, that was huge. And I always heard about it at IEP meetings, how grateful they were that I had reached out beforehand. And it wasn't the first time they were seeing me on Zoom when we would connect for IEP meetings. So I know that people are doing that now in our current situation. And I think that's so key for, for anyone doing teletherapy to try to consciously make those, those personal connections with families. Also, data collection was a, a challenge. So just figuring out what system was going to work best for me so that I could have that data, because it's so easy to do 10 sessions in a row in the day and, and trying to go back and think about what people did is amazing. <laughs> so I quickly, oh, yeah. Had to, yeah, I quickly had to figure out what data collection system was going to work for me. And that was huge. And then just high quality materials, taking the time to 
either create your own. Well, actually, I think it's a mix of both. I think it's investing in teachers pay teachers. I should, if there's stock in that, I should definitely pull that. <laughs> so much money. And, you know, boom cards and all of those great things. But also making your own materials because I think that's also so important to, to know exactly what you're doing. Um, and have that plan and, and make things, make materials that are reusable for your, for your clients and your students. But that's been a huge, important thing for me. I have so many folders open and I just have them organized by goals. And mm-hmm. so I just, if a kid's working on synonyms and antonyms, I've got a folder and I've got 10 activities in there that I could pull up at any time to do that. So just getting organized with those materials and, and taking the time to create materials and, and get them organized. It's really it's and that's so so key also. We often look first to see what's out there. And then when we don't find it, we make it. But sometimes we waste so much time looking where we could adjust, put something together. It doesn't have to be elaborate or beautiful. Like some Google images and some text on a screen can go a long way. Exactly. Like some shapes. Like <laughs> yep, Totally. Totally. What is that. your favorite like go-to tool or resource? So I just love using the whiteboard um, and stamps. We have like a, um, I work for presence learning for, for one of my contacts and, and we have stamps like emojis built into the platform. And so I use a lot of just drawing on the screen and pulling out those stamps. And so what I do, like if a child's working on sentence production, I'll just pull out four um, subjects like people or, or whatever, Santa Claus or whoever, <laughs> and then four verbs and then four places and they build their own sentences and they love it. And it's like, I didn't have to spend any money on that. I just did it on the spot, especially I'll pick things like if they're working on S, I'll pick stamps that start with S or whatever. So we're, com- we're working on multiple things at once and it's the simplest thing in the world, but they love it and it's a really productive activity. So I think really just not getting caught up, like you said, in the fancy stuff because it's not necessary. There's so much we can do. We know that as speech pathologists, there's everything is language and everything is communication, So we can always work on multiple goals at once. Our kids don't know whether or not we spend $5 or $0. They don't know and they don't care, I hate to say it. (laughs) They don't care. Like They're just there because, you know, they love seeing us and it's fun and it's refreshing and we're someone that can help them and it's not a chore like class. I hate to say (laughs) it, you know, we're fun. We're not just quizzing them all the time. We're playing games. We're making mm-hmm. them laugh. We're using their interests. So mm-hmm. I love that. That's so awesome. True. And have you noticed, I mean, obviously you've noticed since you were doing teletherapy prior to COVID, the shift in just, obviously there's now more resources now. It's probably making it a little bit easier to do what you need to do. What have, what have you noticed like the change over time now that everyone's working from home now? <laughs> doing Yeah. Our colleagues are just so creative. <laughs> I mean, I have been so in awe of everything that that people are creating there's way more materials now than there were before and i love that that facebook group with like green screen speech therapy or something like that and they, <laughs> people just post every single day like a new youtube video of what they're trying to mm-hmm. do or something awesome that they've made some background that they've made that is so fun or you know i mean like the frozen birthday party thing. i mean there's like all kinds of <laughs> really creative fun things that i would have never ever come up with but i'm like oh i'm doing that tomorrow <laughs> or I'm doing, you know because there's just so many great ideas from our super creative colleagues coming up with, with them and i just love that everyone's sharing it that's what i really love I feel like if anything, this time has really brought us together as a profession. It's been so cool, so cool to watch. And I feel it, even though I'm in Guatemala, I feel like we're, you know, we're all, we're all together. 
we're all in this together. It's definitely brought the field together because it was like we were thrown into this mess with zero training, zero warning. Like if you told me back in February that I would be doing speech therapy from my kitchen with my two-year-old on my lap, with my six-year-old on the, like with my husband downstairs, I would have laughed in your face. I said, stop the nonsense, stop the madness. (laughs) Like that will never happen. Like schools are never going to close. Like, no, no. But and here we are. And here we are. (laughs) And people are, and we're still here. We're still dealing with it. And even, even though in the States, like, you know, I'm in New York and we're back, we're open, we're in, but I still have students I'm seeing virtually because they're choosing to not come in. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing a little bit of both now. And we still are needing that inspiration and thinking positively that it's not so bad that we have to use our materials virtually now. Right. And we're all learning together, though. I think that's really the awesome thing here is that everyone is in the same boat and and supporting each other and sharing these ideas. As soon as someone tries something and it works, or if it didn't work, they share it. Mm -hmm. And we're all learning from it. So we're all benefiting from from that. And I just love that sense of community and support that that's happening right now. Because I know you do tons of professional development on teletherapy for schools and groups. What's one area that you, one bit of advice that you make sure that they always walk away with so that they are feeling a little bit more confident in doing teletherapy? I think it's just a reminder that you don't have to invest in tons of digital materials. You can just play. I mean, you can do Play-Doh on your end and just have them have Play-Doh on their end and you're going to have a great time playing Play-Doh together over the computer. I think just people get overwhelmed and they think, I don't know how to make digital materials and I don't want to buy all these things because it's not going to be like this forever. We hope but you can use your toys. It's okay. It's okay to just play. It's okay to sing songs. It's okay to, you know, draw or, or whatever. I do teach about the the different digital things that you can do and, and always having visual supports on the screen while you're doing whatever else and, you know, splitting the screen like that and just keeping kids engaged that way. But like I always end with the fact that we don't have to do any of this. You can just play. <laughs> Because like you said, this is like their, their break from the serious classes and, and we get to play. So just play. Mm-hmm. I had an articulation soon. We were playing tic-tac-toe and he was like, can we play more? I'm like, okay, okay, I do a lot sure. of tic-tac-toe. Love that. Love that go to. It's just a Google slide with just with some squares. Some bo- like boxes. It wasn't fancy. It was no fancy fonts. Like done. Tic-tac-toe. So fun. And, so we fun. Could, and, we, and we use the same words over and over again. Guess what? Still working on them. Like, why not? So it doesn't always have to be that fancy and elaborate to be effective. Yep. So you've done more in the SLP world than many of us will ever do in our lifetimes. <laughs> between between oh, traveling to Guatemala, going for a doctorate, being licensed in five states. I mean, <laughs> you have a lot going on. What would you say is your biggest proud moment or accomplishment that you feel like you had thus far? Um, There's two things I'm really proud of in this moment. And and the first one is the association, the Speech Therapist Association, because there's nothing more gratifying than seeing people learn together in a community. It's just magical. (laughs) I don't know how to describe it, but I just love it. And I'm learning so much every week from our presenters too. It's just, it's been such a huge growth experience professionally and personally. I just, I love it. And it's been a labor of love and, and a long time coming, but 
uh, one of my goals was to path it off to the Guatemala as soon as possible. And so I kind of started the, the Facebook group and led the group in the beginning. And then as soon as we became an official association, I stepped down to vice president. I'm not the president of the, of the association because I think that's so important. And then the next goal is the university. And I've got all of my colleagues here are just like thrilled for that and want to help in any way they can. And, and I just love to see this passion for learning because I love to learn too. <laughs> so it's been awesome that way. And we know that we're serving children and families and adults here uh, way better than before because we, we're, we are learning together continuously. The other big project that I'm so proud of is called Luna Autismo. It's, a, it's an autism education project in Spanish. Over the past year, we've gotten 25,000 followers just because there's such a huge need for simple, easy to understand information that's, that's based on the evidence about autism and helping families realize that autism is not a death sentence, that there's lots of amazing, wonderful things about autism and, and neurodiversity in general. And, and so we love bringing that message to the masses. My partner on this project is, is the mother of an autistic daughter and Emma, who's amazing. And she's also a psychologist and a special educator. So she's got the professional and the personal side of it. And then I bring the more professional <laughs> with that. So um, so I really enjoyed that. We've had now, we started a, an online course, two different levels for autism. And we've had more than 250 graduates in the past six months from 17 different countries. And it's been awesome. Again, building community and helping people see the beauty of autism and, and helping empowering parents and family members and and professionals has been just, again, such a great joy and privilege to be able to help people understand the beauty of autism. Wow. And what's next? Other than, obviously, the university and all the other things, what else do you see in your in the horizon in the future? Well, we'll see. I don't know. I mean, seven years here. Every year I'm thinking, like, is this it? Or I don't know. But no, I keep staying here because there's so much to do. So, so yeah, I started another doctorate in education, in higher education, because I'm I don't know anything about higher education. I did it. I'm, I'm learning a lot now at Murray State in, in Kentucky. So I'll finish that hopefully by next December. And then it's going to be full speed ahead with with the university trying to find uh, accreditation and sponsors and everything else that we need to do to get it going. Because it doesn't do me any good or anybody here in Guatemala any good if we just leave things how they are. We have to find a solution for for years and years to come. So, so that's the next goal. University. That's amazing. That really, I love it that you're wanting to better yourself so that you can better the projects and causes. And that's really, truly amazing and inspiring. And I'm sure everyone listening wants to learn more about, like, if someone wants to learn about the orphanage missions and uh, I, couldn't, I had a brain fart, orphanage missions or uh, all these different associations, how can they learn about all these kind of things if someone wants to learn more? Sure. So the orphanage that I volunteered at is called NPH, if they look that up, NPH US. And I'll have it in the show notes. Okay, awesome. And then Luna Autismo, if, the, if you have families, that Spanish-speaking families with children with autism or adults with autism, you can send them to Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. Um, it's Luna, L-U-N-A, and autism with an O at the end is <laughs> autism in Spanish, autismo. So you can find us there. And then, I mean, I have a website. If you want to get in touch with me, it's just dramandablackwell.com. And I love connecting with colleagues all over the place. So if you're a bilingual speech pathologist and you would like to let us learn from you, we would love to hear from you um, in our association. We, we have had the privilege of listening to, to several 
experts in our field. And, and even if you're not an expert or a professor at a university, we can definitely still learn from your experience. So, so get in touch, please. And I definitely hope people out there listening, <clears throat> some of my colleagues, um, <laughs> reach us out because this is, this is amazing. This is awesome. I, I love hearing what you are doing. It really is an inspiration. We'll have all the links and contacts and everything in the show notes. Thank you so, so much, Amanda. This was really, truly inspiring. Like, I don't know when you sleep <laughs> but, but and have time for it all. Some of us are just trying to make it through a six-hour day and you seem to squeeze it all in and, and more. So you really are a rock star. So thank you very much. I still have to end this guys with a joke. Okay. I know I'm going to, I'm trying to think of the best joke. Okay. What color socks do bears wear? Oh, I don't know. They don't wear socks. They have bare feet. (laughs) (laughs) I had to go there. You know, I just, I went there. I went there. (laughs) I, 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 I'm known for my cheesy jokes, but it's what I start all my sessions. I have a joke of the week in my speech room. And so this way, when everyone's listening to these episodes on Monday mornings, they have a joke that they want to use for the joke of the week. <laughs> I'm going to use that in my session. See? See? I see? <laughs> all right. So thank you so much, Amanda. Everyone, I hope you are inspired as much as I am. And go check out Amanda and everything she has to offer. And until next week, stay out of trouble. Do you love incorporating literacy-based activities in your speech room? Are you looking for more storybooks to add to your collection that are perfect for speech and language therapy? Did you know that I wrote a children's book? Ella Bella Just Can't Tell Ya is perfect for working on sequencing, describing, WH questions, and more. It is perfect for students with word-finding difficulties too. Check it out on Amazon by going to speechtimefun.com slash Ella Thanks for tuning in for another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at www.speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. While you are there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun, and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.